0: This is the Civil Discourse Podcast. I am Kevin Prendiville, and together we will explore the same topic as covered in the video program, but we'll take an extended look in an effort to spark a civil discourse. Oh boy, marijuana. It uh, certainly has become a popular plant. It used to just be for hippies and Indians, but well, if my high school experience was like yours, uh, I'm pretty sure its popularity has grown uh, quite exponentially. Uh, you know, in Massachusetts, which is, you know, a blue state, and I don't know really how true that is, because, of course, the, the small town that I, I was from, uh, you know, was, was rather red, uh, not, you know, southern red, but, but definitely Massachusetts uh, conservative of the Mitt Romney type, um, which means just, you know, a little bit more socially liberal, but uh, certainly, certainly conservative uh, fiscally. And you know, so the the prevalence of of the devil's plant was uh, unfortunately high among uh, no pun intended, uh, among uh, younger uh, younger people, uh, not so much you know, some of the older residents, some of the old money uh, that had moved from Boston, which is mostly keeping the state uh, uh, blue. Boston and, and the Cape Cod area. Now, certainly, since I've been uh, aware and and alive um, and aware—I mean, politically aware—of anything, uh, marijuana legalization has really taken off. It kind of at first it was kind of a fringe, you know, Democratic Party uh, ideal. It was for the Green Party in the in the '90s and. Um, You know, they're never going to catch on, but except for, you know, small places like uh, small regions in California. But, uh, you know, it it started with Colorado and California. And and at least people who who I knew who were against it were, it's kind of a joke, you know, well, that's a California thing. It's a Colorado thing. But certainly in just a few years uh, since then, it has uh, gone state to state. Uh, where it's either, you know, medical legalization or in some cases, total legalization, um, to where you can walk in like any other, uh, business and buy, uh, marijuana, you know, THC included. And I never understood. Now, I I do want to distinguish there is a, and I'm not an expert, clearly, um, for those who know me personally, you know, I don't even drink, but that's for my ideals. I believe that you should abstain from anything that, uh, removes your connection to God or removes your connection to reality. And I mean, alcohol does it as well as, uh, marijuana and any of that stuff. So I have stayed away. I am not claiming to have had, uh, personal experience in that, uh, frame, but I have friends who, you know, both drink and, partake in, in marijuana and you know have premarital sex and all those great things that'll get you to hell quick but the arguments to me at least you know they always used to be oh it's 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 health it, it, it's an alternative to um, pharmaceuticals and so it's an alternative to you know the overuse of, of, of opioids and and certainly that is an issue that we'll talk about uh, later but that was always seemed to be the argument. We're just doing it, you know, for, to be healthier, to be uh, a little bit more natural, to get away from some of the industrialization of the uh, healthcare field, which, of course, without industrialization, I'd like to point out, you know, we wouldn't have penicillin and, you know, we'd all be walking around with syphilis and measles. But the idea that this drug would be used for recreational use. I know it can be used in, in, uh, in order to get, you know, cancer patients who may not have an appetite, but who need to eat to keep their weight up. It can be used in that sense. I am not as against it medically. Uh, you know, I'm okay with, with the CBD oil that comes out because that does not have the THC in it. It's just the, um, the hemp plant, which, uh, can be used in anything from, from clothes to some, uh, medical use and it's, it can be used as a, as a, a pain reliever and um, you know some people even use it uh, uh, for dietary reasons. Um, and I'm not I'm not against that per se. Uh, you know, I grew up in kind of a new age household in the sense that you know everything had to be organic and, and and closer to nature. So I'm not as against CBD simply because it doesn't have the THC in it, the thing that disconnects you from God. But it is for recreational use, the stuff that does have the THC in it, you know, the fun stuff that makes you forget that you have a purpose, that that stuff uh, is being legalized as well. And, you know, they'll have rallies for it and, and it, it, it's unfortunately everywhere and people are destigmatized to it. You know, you, you go on any, uh, you listen to any of the modern music and they glorify it or or, um, you know, it's a prevalent theme sometimes in movies, uh, the Ju- Judge Red movie that came out in, um, 2010, I think it was, had, uh, you know, a, a usage of, of a drug, um, I forget what they call it now, um, I'm not a huge movie fan, but of course, that, uh, the drug was a prevalent, um, in the storyline, if I remember correctly, it was actually kind of an antagonist, um, produced thing because it disconnected people from reality, this terrible reality uh, that they're in. And so we have to look at why it's on the rise in the first place. I mean, I don't think if if anyone studies history for a minute, nothing happens out of nowhere. There Sometimes it takes uh, hundreds of years for things to feel, for people to feel the effect of something. Sometimes it takes 20 years, um, you know, and, and you know, you look at something like the Versailles Treaty, which clearly led to the rise of Adolf Hitler and World War II in general. Um, you know, that didn't take too long. Of course, it was aided by the Great Depression, um, and that's a that's a totally different topic. But it, it is it it caused a great tragedy, and I think one of the greatest tragedies here, and really, the point of all this, the point of of, of creating this as the first topic is to say that I really believe the reason it's on the rise is because young people today, hell, old people today, uh, we all struggle with who we are and for whatever reason we have lost our identity as both individuals and as community and I really think that's the greatest thing that nobody's talking about and that can't be fixed by legislation, that can't be fixed by a politician. Heck, I don't even know if it could be fixed by education. Although I think that's the soundest way to do it. And I think this problem was caused uh, for for a lack of education. But in times like this, it it, it reminds me of the quote um, by Saint Augustine, who in uh, in the 1200s, he was a monk, um, started off you know very wealthy and. Uh, ended up living uh, uh, kind of a secluded life, but but certainly an important life. He was an important theologian uh, in the medieval era. And his famous phrase, or the famous phrase that's always been attributed to him, has been uh, one that, that simply, our heart is restless until it finds rest in you, oh God. And that... Phrase has always stuck with me. Because there seems to be for a God who I believe loves us infinitely, and his son Jesus Christ, who does the same, who is supernatural in his ability to forgive, we have this chasm deep within us that 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 is just as infinite. And of course there's the, there's the antithesis, there's uh, Satan, Antichrist, Baal, whatever you call him, the devil, who has an equal amount of hatred for us that is just as infinite. And we have decided that that explanation for that chasm in our life, the, the Christian explanation, which is, you fill that infinite, seemingly infinite chasm with, with uh, the love of Christ and the knowledge that there is a God who is a just God, and that through His Son Jesus Christ you will be saved, and be able to to fill that void in a way that 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 is Christlike in and of itself, and I think one of the failures is, is removing that from the general education system. Think about it. This country, like it or not, and we'll be doing a separate podcast uh, on the weekends about this, which is like it or not, this is a Christian nation and and not in sense of we have, you know, a, a defined religion. We're not uh, uh, France, which, you know, is obviously uh, uh, defined by its Catholicism, certainly for, for much of its history. Or Spain, I'm not talking like about that, but philosophically, much of our beliefs, much of our attitudes towards life, come from a Christian perspective. But at some point in the 60s, we decided that that really wasn't the case, we need to be more secular, and... I'm not saying that we need to be fully theocratic that's that's you know don't mistake my argument uh, for that but at the same time a fully secular nation never ends well. you know the, this this actually comes from there's some historical precedents for this um, in the early 1900s uh, does anyone remember the country of Germany you know that, that used to be this huge landmass in the middle of Europe? Powerful, powerful country. People with a, with a strong uh, Calvinist work, work ethic, uh, well, Catholic work ethic if you were in the South, in the Munich area. Strong, you know, culture, really. Uh, certainly things were distinct at that time, and think about it. Think of all the, the great inventions and great thinkers, uh, out, whether it's Albert Einstein or Frederick Nietzsche, or how many of them came from a Germanic area. And they had a, a, a large movement. Of course, in, uh, northern Germany is very Protestant, southern Germany uh, very Catholic. And they had a move in the, uh, or a movement, academic movement, uh, in the early 1900s that really sought to secular secularize most of, of Germany. And it, it caught on with a lot of the socialist parties, and I know they, clearly I'm not a socialist, I'm very anti-socialist, but... The I don't want to make them out to be the bad guy here. I don't really think there is a bad guy here. But this movement in the early 1900s, characterized a lot by nihilism and the idea that you can't prove that you actually exist, which flies in the face of the Roman philosophy of, I think, therefore I am. But again, that's another topic. Really um, did a lot of damage to... What was, what people considered Germans to be, or what it meant to be a German, because no longer was it about, it was just up to anybody to think of something, and suddenly, you know, that, that's what they identified as. They were suddenly, uh, you know, not a hard hardworking, if they wanted to define themselves as a, a lazy alcoholic, then, you know, who were you to say otherwise? Because in a nihilistic culture, nothing means anything. And this actually, uh, and it comes from, there's a book called uh, Pendulum, which is a great uh, uh, look at history in the terms of, it always swings wildly one way to the other. And obviously the counterbalance to this was the rise of the uh, National uh, Socialist German Workers Party uh, in the late 1920s, which famously uh, was headed by a man named Adolf Hitler. And That was a response to the late German Empire before it was disbanded by uh, the Versailles Treaty, before World War I even, where, uh, and and you also saw this philosophy gain a lot of uh, hold in France after World War I and what was called the Lost Generation. Um, But I don't want to get too far down that rabbit hole, which is very interesting. We'll probably also do a podcast on that, you know, far down the road. But the idea of what it be what it was to become a German and then they no longer identified with the Martin Luther they no longer identified with uh, some of the Austrian and uh, uh, Czech philosophies that had come out of uh, out of the Reformation of course the Reformation started in, in Germany and they brought nationalism back obviously with the Nazis however they also uh, ditched the religion part which uh, or the Christian part, which which basically would have prevented, uh, you know, the genocide of Jewish people. It, I'm not saying it would have prevented World War II in terms of uh, the fighting and the and the war itself, but it, had the Nazis been religious, uh, they probably would not have uh, massacred the Jewish people or black people or Gypsies or Hungarians or any of the people that they or, or Russians for that for that instance. Um, they probably would not have been as brutal now it would it would have been a, a fringe idea that it was in Germany uh, to be you know anti-jewish, but regardless that is the counter that's what happens when we don't fill that void with religion. It's filled by the state. There's other uh, instances of this in the French Revolution in the seventeen hundreds the, uh, Catholicism, which had been, I mean, the reigning, uh, power and uh, religious power in France for, uh, centuries. I mean, basically since the eight hundreds, I mean, it had been nearly a thousand years and, and some would argue once Rome became Catholic, of course, the only form of Christian, one of the only forms of, of, uh, Christianity in the early days, uh, that when Rome controlled France, it was Catholic then. So, so it had been even longer than that. And uh, after the French Revolution, you know, they even had it in their um, in their constitution that essentially somebody was only validated by society and not by their religion. And so they, as well, tried to do away with uh, religious prevalence in France. And essentially what happened... Was uh, you saw a lot the 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 sudden rise in French nationalism again because you're replacing that void in people's souls. Why am I here? Well, the, the, there was a a German philosopher uh, about a hundred years later who described the problem as well. You're here for your country. You identify with the ideals that it encapsulates and what it means, and so your purpose is to die for your country, and that is when nationalism becomes a problem. I love America. I've said it once. I'll say it a million times, and I'll say it till the day I die, whether or not a camera is on me. This is the greatest country in the history of mankind. It's greater than Rome. It's greater than the English Empire, which are two na- uh, nations that I also revere in history. But, but flat out, the ideas that America has w- was founded on and really has stuck to for, for generations is is unprecedented and now we're facing we're facing the problem with a generation that that doesn't know what it means to be an american and i don't think that void will be filled with consumerism which has defined america since about the 1900s and it's not a bad thing it's when it runs your life it's a bad thing course, the freedom of, of, of business and the freedom of enterprise is probably one of the most important staples in being an american i wish there was a a political party founded on the freedom of business we certainly need some you know if if, if anyone needs to come in and make sure the that tech companies are playing fair um you know it's the united states and we can do that we have the great economic system known as capitalism to do that but We don't teach our our, our kids history, and it comes from a lot of the uh, secular philosophies uh, that came out of, um, really put into practice in the 1960s here, but also came out of, uh, you know, the early 1900s uh, Germany, as we discussed, and that restlessness is being filled by drugs, alcohol, promiscuity, and we don't, rather than address the real issue we unfortunately want to say well we'll just make marijuana legal and then people will do it and uh, won't get arrested for it instead of saying well why are, why are they why is it rising in the first place i don't know how many people willingly want to inhale smoke in their bodies or willingly i mean some people i guess want to get high but but it's really the only people who have such a terrible terrible circumstance that they almost it's like they can't deal with it with the pressure and so rather than deal with the problem they just want to run and that's the best way they know how to run that's an issue not and 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 you can forget about the the marijuana and the alcohol for a second because they're not going to fill it with consumerism not going to fill it with fill it with nationalism because, as we'll explain in a minute, we're not being told what it even means to be an American anymore. I'm going to fill, fill it with with a political philosophy. And the most prevalent one that I can find, the one that has the most pull right now, is socialism. And that's because we don't know anymore. We don't teach history. We don't know what happened when countries go socialist. Or communist, which is the endgame for socialism. As Vladimir Lenin said, the point of socialism is communism. Should that tyranny come to our shores? Should our generation of young people Fall into the traps that have been laid out for them. Where will the people in truly oppressive cultures and societies go? Where will the people in Cuba go? Or the people under the boot of Chinese tyranny? Or the women who are attacked in rural India? Or Russians who want to build a better life. Egyptians who are trying to escape the constant government change. Where are they going to go? That's the beautiful thing about America. And really the beautiful thing about Christianity. You can choose whether or not you want to be a Christian. There's no phrase in the Bible, like in the Quran, that says, kill anyone who doesn't believe what I believe. There have certainly been radical people who, in the name of Christianity, have done so, but the Christian ethic has always been to debate it. Even in medieval days, where, of course, you had the Crusades, most famously, but that was done more for, for money and personal gain than, you know, the actual religious aspect of it, Unfortunately. Um, But the Christian ethic, you know, in those days, among the philosophers and the theologians has always been to debate issues, not to argue and throw things and and play dirty and and fight over. That's that's the reason that the Old Testament exists, to give us a moral code. So we've thrown that out the window so that we can violently institute things that we want, which, you know, that's evidenced in uh, during the Obama presidency. You know, you had in communities uh, in in Ferguson where things would catch like wildfire, you know, hands up, don't shoot, which, uh, you know, you can find, uh, of course, Ben Shapiro talks a lot about this issue, that some of that was founded on a lie that, It was fabricated by the media because because of what they want to see instituted. And rather than debate the merits and the advantages or disadvantages of socialism, it's become the worldview for so many because they've filled that infinite void with earthly matters. Let's throw out the, the, the idea that Humor me for a second. Let's throw out the idea that, that, okay, let's say, suppose there's no God. We're just animals. Animals with a a heightened sense of consciousness. Brains. What does it matter? I mean, why work so hard to institute a political philosophy if you're going to fill your world with that? And certainly, I could throw out the notion that that God doesn't exist and fill myself with well, you know, a, a, a good conservative. We need to be conservative, and everyone needs to think the way I think. What's stopping me from, in the name of that, killing people? Because if there's no God, then it doesn't matter. You kill me, but but I just that just means I have no consciousness anymore. But if you believe in the fact that there's there's an afterlife and to get to that paradise or to be assured that you're going to hell, it takes the acceptance of Christ here and the acceptance of the Old Testament moral code which says, hey, don't kill your fellow man who's innocent. Don't cheat on your wife. Don't, you know, all the things that we hold up as, as good moral standards, we... Have thrown out the window, and and that's I think part of the reason why you see the rise of groups like Antifa. Because they've thrown that notion out, they just they want to be socialists because they think that'll fill the void in their in, in their soul, and I don't think it will. There are people who who escaped the oppression of the Soviet Union, and I was I was watching a documentary on this uh, a while back, and. A guy was talking in, in his through through a translator, and he basically said the individual is like a grain of sand. If you crushed it, if you threw it in the water, if you you could do anything with it, it didn't matter. All that mattered was perpetuating what that ideology communism had put forth. What kind of life is that? The whole prospect of, of Christianity itself is Hey, you can have a good life. You don't have to be this morally depraved, depressed creature. You can have the world in all of its gold, and that's the prospect of the United States. But we're not teaching our kids that anymore. And here's why I believe that, is because we've gotten too far into moral relativism and multiculturalism. Now, we've talked uh, earlier about the what happened with the Germans in the early 1900s and their push for a more secular society. And I'll say it again, I'm not saying we need to be theocratic, absolutely you know, adopt Christianity as the, as the uh, state religion or, or any of that, but we certainly need to know why we believe what we believe. And like it or not, our perspective when founding the United States was a Christian perspective. But multiculturalism, and, and we've talked about this a little bit on Crime of the Century and some of the earlier uh, shows, multiculturalism is the idea, and they present this in, I took a, I was went to a liberal arts uh, school, which um, I didn't talk about, but it, it, it was a good school, uh, St. Thomas More, I'm sorry, Thomas More University. Um, and, you know, the, the, so they make you take at liberal arts schools different, uh, lots of different courses. And so uh, one of the requirements was to take a, a, social, a sociology course. And this always stuck out to me with the uh, textbook is that they had this 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 linear graph, basically. And it said, okay, for all the cultures, here's, here's, uh, what happens? There's, there's at the low end on the left side, which is essentially the the bad culture. So you had genocide, where the dominant culture uh, actively uh, attempts to kill those who don't conform to the culture. And now I agree that's that's probably the worst culture to have. Uh, that's that's a in fact a horrible culture. I don't think you should kill anybody for believing differently, unless they start trying to kill you. But I don't think I can't think of one genocide where that that was the case. We usually, it's a, it's the innocent party that that gets massacred for absolutely no reason, and that's a horrible thing. And then next to that, on they had another another uh, little dot, and uh, it said basically that that next there were uh, civil rights laws. So basically, uh, it drew a lot of comparisons to the Jim Crow South and the 1950s in the United States, where Um, You know, you actively had, you know, black people had different drinking fountains, and you had segregation, and you had, uh, you know, busing issues, and you had redlining, and you had a lot of uh, issues with people being black, which is stupid. Your skin color doesn't determine whether or not you're a good person. Your actions, what you've done, how have you helped other people, that determines whether or not you're a good person. That, that... I love the United States, and I'll still say it's the you know the greatest nation in in, in human history. But like any country, uh, that unfortunately um, was a was a ugly time, and and it's sad that, that you know it was part of it was part of our culture, but happened, and there's nothing we can do to change that. And then right, uh, it it had four four dots, and then on the other side, on the uh, on the good side, essentially, but not great. Uh, they had what was known as uh, assimilation, where um, the dominant the, the 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 aliens, we'll call them that, um, essentially the the new people came in and they adopted the dominant culture. It presented it more forcefully in the textbook, but it's what we used to have in the United States. It's how we got a lot of our uh, our delicacies and our traditions, um, and that's how a lot of uh, it's how, you know, some of the American diction was uh, changed. You know, you have the Southern accents and you have the angry New Yorkers, which have a, you know, Italian background or Jewish background. Uh, in Boston, you got the angry Irish, a lot of anger, angry uh, Irishmen and, um, you know, some of that history. And, of course, in the South, you have the prevalence of, of, of you know, kind of a uh, African culture um, because of, obviously, the slavery history um it's and then you know in the in the Midwest you know you've got a lot of the uh, French and Scandinavian ethic um during the immigration um, from France uh, from the French colonies in the 1700s and uh, after World War one a lot of the and shortly before World War one a lot of uh, Germanic immigrants went to places famously like uh, Cincinnati and Ohio and Pittsburgh so so it really created the great, Uh, American melting pot and when the Germans came over they you know for the most part were no longer loyal to Germany they were loyal to the United States they came here and they passed our tests and they accepted the fact that we have a constitution and why we have a constitution and of course not everything went smoothly we had people in the in the uh, later stages of World War I uh, in Ohio we had German some German immigrants who, you know, openly supported, uh, the German empire who we were fighting against. And, uh, not so much in, in World War Two. Many of the Germans who escaped, uh, Hitler's reign didn't like Hitler and that's why they ran. And so we didn't have nearly, we didn't have really any notable issue, of course, outside of the fanatics, but like anything, they were French. So assimilation is presented as this bad thing, but really it's what created the American melting pot. But at the end of the, at the end of the thing, at the 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 most good they had listed on this on this linear graph was multiculturalism, and that stuck out to me because it was presented as though that was what we were progressing to. Of course, in order to do anything, in order to be motivated for anything in life. You have to orient your life and your actions in order to something. That, that's the nature of the word. Um, and that comes from uh, Dr. Jordan Peterson in his 12 Rules for Life. I did not just come up with that out of the blue. But cultural uh, multiculturalism basically says we can bring all these people in from all these different parts of the world and when combined with moral relativism, which says basically all viewpoints are valid because the one truth in life is that there is no truth, which we've talked about on The Crime of the Century, which is naturally a cons- contradiction, that multiculturalism uh, is the thing that, that, that we're trying to get to because we have all these different cultures that, and you can't, one, you can't appropriate something, but also you have to, even for the dominant culture, you have to go back and, um, you know, get in touch with your, your native culture and, um, you know, basically that the dominant culture has no right but actively suppresses its own ideals in order to accept uh, the new ones of the immigrants. And you see this played out uh, in Germany with their immigration crisis. So they brought in a bunch of, uh, you know, Africans, uh, North Africans that are predominantly Muslim and uh, Middle Easterners uh, as refugees, again, predominantly uh, Islamic. And the amount of stonings and rape and theft and horrible violence Went through the roof, and uh, notably in Sweden, but also in France and, of course, Germany. And we have heard nothing from the elite, except for how great that all this is. Because you know, Germans are accepting. You know, they're they're repaying their debt by accepting uh, people of different skin color and a different culture. But what happens when the culture you're bringing in is is in direct opposition to the ideals of the nation that they're joining. In the West, we have this funny idea that women are equal to men. That's why we let them vote. That's why in the 1920s, the suffrage movement gained so much momentum because their consciousness was, you know, what are we doing? You know, women are equal to men in terms of they are also human beings we have different skill sets but they're human beings we have to treat them like that and you know that's why society looks down and as they should on you know men who beat their wives or or people who hate women in general and and you know some of that's been exploited but but i think that's a good thing we should protect the women and the children but what happens when you bring in millions upon millions of refugees who believe Women should be covered up, not seen. Heck, for for years, for until you know the nineteen fifties, women couldn't even stand trial. You couldn't, as a woman, give a reliable testimony. To go out in public, you need a male escort. Saudi Arabia just let women drive, and that was considered extremely progressive. Yet in Germany, in the United States, in the UK, women win most of the legal battles when it comes to custody of the children. Women, and they should be allowed to, women can vote, women can run their own household, women can work a job, women can drive themselves places, women can shoot guns and shoot attackers, as they should be able to, and they're not going to get stoned for wearing short shorts. But you go ahead and try that in Lebanon, Syria. You know where where one of those those uh, revealing outfits that they do that they do here, and 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 see if they don't put you on trial. Is that idea equal to the ones we have in the West of liberation, socially, sexually, and? culturally? I'd say not. Multiculturalism works great when you have two basically same cultures. If if a person from Poland came over to the United States and they wanted to, you know, keep their 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 language and keep their uh, um, delicacies and and some of their traditions, okay, fine, but Poland's Poland never wanted communism and they threw it off, you know, Poland is a good, strong moral character and, and for the most part, a Western country. But when you have two ideas that are so polar opposite two, and we talked about this in a, in a Crime of the Century um, that came out in February, where essentially there's a, an entire difference of the difference of vision of what the world should be is so different that you know, uh, you are in competition with each other. One is going to win. There's no compromise. There's no in-between. And that's where you get the the rise in violence and you get the unfortunate, uh, you know, culture clashes that you see in Europe. And so, conversely, the generation that accepts multiculturalism forgets what their own culture is because they're encouraged to not think about it because you need to respect the others. So then it becomes, what do we believe? And when you fight someone who is as morally sound in their beliefs as the Islamic countries are in terms of they know what they believe, they know why they believe it, and they're not going to change, and you put that up against a wishy-washy, I kind of believe this, I kind of don't, we should just love everybody, belief that has pervaded in the West. Of course it's going to get crushed. It's like having, you know, a seven foot two giant where, you know, 500 pound man uh, fi- fight an eight year old. Now, that'd be kind of hilarious, but <laughs> this is not funny. Because like I said, where do those people go and they don't have the freedom that the United States provides anymore. And in many cases, I think, you know, to wrap a boat on this. Where do those people go who are hooked on on drugs and alcohol? Do they find what's the, what's what's their reasoning for getting off of it other than, you know, obviously to improve their their condition, but is it really satisfying? Or, does, or do they just wake up to their, the hell that is their life that they were trying to escape from in the first place? Which... comes from a culture that no longer believes in a God and no longer believes in the principles that founded it. So, here's my argument. Here's my point for this discourse. I believe... We need to find God again. I believe we need to find America again. Whether that's reading history on our own and telling our friends, whether that's reading the Bible on our own or listening to great uh, pastors and giving that information back to our the next generation, our kids, showing them that there is a way that you don't have to be consumed with this world. And I believe it's coming to the realization that some ideas are simply better than others. We know that. We don't have to be beholden to multiculturalism and moral relativism, and we can be good without them. Because we have been for so long. That'll conclude our initial discussion for Civil Discourse. I am Kevin Uh I thank you for joining me for this about 45-minute discussion on the legalization of marijuana and today's youth.